Hey, what's up, y'all? Alan Kenny, host of the Blatant Homerism Podcast here. Oklahoma's got the Texas Longhorns coming up this weekend in the uh, Big 12 Championship game. I've asked Jason Kersey, who covers Oklahoma for The Athletic, to come on talk a little bit about the game. Okay, so let's go ahead and welcome our guest, Jason Kersey of The Athletic, on. Jason, how you doing? Great, Alan. How are you? Doing very well, thank you. So, you know, we've got a big game, obviously, coming up this weekend, uh, Oklahoma and Texas playing in a... Uh, Kind of, uh, you know, Justin, uh, uh, everyone's so used to seeing these two teams in the Cotton Bowl in October that it's just kind of a, a weird deal. Uh, I don't know, just general thoughts. I mean, I know that, you know, you've grown up in Oklahoma as in, in addition to, you know, uh, covering the Sooners for a long time. You, I don't know, what what do you make of all this? Well, I mean, it's exciting, I think, that, uh, that Oklahoma and Texas are in the Big 12 title game. I think... You know, if you look back in the uh, early 2000s, um, you know, in, in sort of that era, and even, you know, into, you know, 2007, 2008, some of those years, um, you know, uh, Oklahoma and Texas were the two best teams in the Big 12, and it would have been pretty cool if they could have played for a conference title back then, you know, when there were divisions, and, and it was always, you know, Oklahoma versus Missouri or Colorado or um, Kansas State um, or Texas versus Colorado one year. So, like, I think uh, I think that's kind of that's an exciting aspect of it. It's sort of the first time uh, you know we've been able to see these two teams play in this sort of championship atmosphere. So it's uh, I think it's going to be really exciting. Yeah, you know it's just one of those things though too where it's just weird, you know, because it feels like that Cotton Bowl game in October is so special, uh, and this changes the dynamic quite a bit. Uh, I can't wait to see what it's like in the stands, you know, especially you know they've. Uh, only given i think about eight thousand tickets to each school and i think the rest are open up for uh you know general sales so uh yeah you'll have kind of a, an interesting mix of fans there and i would suspect it's actually gonna be pretty pro texas if i had to guess yeah i don't know i mean i think that i think it'll be a, a decent split i mean you know it's it's still right between austin and norman there's still the huge uh alumni base for both schools in the dfw area so um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if I would necessarily think that it'll be more pro Texas. I mean, it could be, but, uh, I guess you kind of have to wait to get there to see, because it's, again, like you said, it's not your typical 50, 50 split. Um, it's, it's sort of the 7,000 or so tickets at each, or uh, I guess when you count student tickets, maybe about 9,000 ish mm-hmm. tickets that, uh, that the two schools got themselves. And then, the rest of the, you know, I don't know, 70, 65, 70,000, whatever it is, seats uh, are sort of a free-for-all between Cowboys, season ticket holders, maybe who wanted to go or sold them, or people on StubHub. I mean, it's just, uh, it's going to be a real interesting mix. And then there's, you know, there's probably going to be a handful of, I, I don't know, uh, probably not West Virginia, but, you know, maybe uh, some some other schools that, that potentially they had a chance to make it this year maybe a tcu fan or two i mean it's just going to be an interesting mix it's going to be very atypical when it comes to the ou texas game and then on top of that yeah you have the ou and texas fans sitting together which uh which i you know i don't expect there to be any like big brawls or anything it's just going to be sort of awkward i think (laughs) yeah yeah for sure for sure well you know you haven't been around the team this week you know during uh, at least the media availability I don't know. Can you give us a general sense of how they're looking at this opportunity? I mean, do you think that they are, that they, I guess, are kind of pumped up by the idea of getting a a chance to, you know, get revenge for uh, what happened in October? 
Well, I think they are. I don't think they're going to say that. You know, we had uh, this week was uh, weird. Lincoln Riley, uh, you know, normally the way that the media availabilities go is we have the Monday luncheon where there are two or three players and Lincoln Riley uh, at noon on Monday. And then post-practice Monday, we have, um, you know, like Bill Biedenboe and then the offensive players or some post-practice Tuesdays, Ruffin McNeil, offensive players. Well, this week, Lincoln Riley decided to, to shut it off after just uh, the luncheon. He brought four players, four players that I, I guess he felt like he could trust, and uh, and him, and that's for the whole week. And so, um, obviously, they're trying to avoid any, any bulletin board material, any riling anybody up, uh, creating any, generating any headlines. Um, and you could tell that by the way the guys talked. I mean, they were very, um, <laughs> they were, uh, you know, I. I I think Kenneth Murray said the word championship 22 times in his uh, in his statement. Uh, Tyler Palmatier counted it from the Norman transcript. <laughs> I think it was 22 times he said uh, the word championship. They consistently said, "Oh, well, we're not worried about the fact that it's Texas. It's just a chance to win the Big 12, and we would be excited for anyone." Blah blah blah. Um, I don't believe that for one second, and I don't think anyone else should believe it either. It's it's clearly not true. I know that because in Morgantown. I saw two players coming off the field in Morgantown with the horns down uh, hand gesture. So, like, it's obvious that they're excited to play Texas again, and they should be. And I really, you know, I guess I understand in some ways trying to limit bulletin board material, but at the same time, the trash talking is part of what makes this rivalry fun. Um, and, and I, I kind of hate that everybody is trying to walk on eggshells about this stuff. Yeah, well, I mean – Looking at it, though, uh, Kyler Murray, you know, was asked about uh, his, I, I believe the word was respect for uh, Sam Ellinger as a uh, quarterback, you know, and uh, he answered it, I guess you would say, diplomatically without, uh, you know, but but still, uh, you know, it was easy to tell how, you know, how he felt about that just by the lack of comment, I guess, on on Ellinger, you know, yeah. so it means even then, you know, it's still, it's still, uh, you, you can try to control for that kind of stuff, but it still, you know, kind of uh, seeps out at times, you know. Yeah, there's still a piece of it um, there. Uh, it's obvious that Kyler Murray and Sam Ellinger are not fans of each other. I think that was obvious from the post game, uh, the first time. Whatever happened, I don't know that we'll ever uh, really know exactly what happened um, <laughs> because there's probably only two or three people that really know. But, um, you know, I – so there's, there is that, I mean, there's going to be these little things. I mean, guys are still on social media and you, you know, you never know what someone might pop off and say on social media. Um, but you know, I don't know. I think that some of this, like trying to sanitize this rivalry has been pretty stupid. I mean, I didn't think Brecklin Hager had anything to apologize for a couple of weeks ago. I thought what he said was kind of funny and Obviously, you know, it's it's part of the rivalry. And I, I think probably a lot of people would agree that he didn't need to apologize. Um, I saw a lot of former OU players saying that. Um, I think it's really dumb that they might penalize or they have penalized the horns down. Um, I actually published a story today uh, with some quotes uh, that people will want to read from Barry Switzer on that very subject. But, um, you know, I just think that this, this rivalry is, is a lot of fun. And the fact that they're playing a second time is a lot of fun. And, uh, we shouldn't be trying to take that element out of it. Again, talking with uh, Jason Kersey of The Athletic. He covers Oklahoma there. Um, 
Jason, you know, the last time these two teams met, uh, it was kind of a real wake-up call, I think, for everyone about Oklahoma's defense. Uh, you know, I mean, I think that everybody knew that there were issues, but this made it look made them look, uh, you know, I guess just a lot worse. Um, you know, since then, obviously, the next day Mike Stoops uh, was fired. Um, you know, Oklahoma's defense hasn't really, you know, done anything in the last few weeks since then to make anyone think that uh, Ruffin McNeil had some magic wand to, uh, you know, wave and, and fix everything. But what do you think, if you're looking for reasons to think that OU's defense will be better this time around, you know, what might those be? Well, you know, I, I do think that uh, it's clear that the, the the fundamental problems are not changed and they won't be changed until there's a whole culture shift on that side of the ball, but you can't really do anything like that until the off season. So, um, you know, I think that if you're looking for something to feel um, encouraged by, uh, obviously I think you go with, with the way that they forced a couple of turnovers uh, and, and turn those into points last week in Morgantown. Um, those two things are the reason, you know, part of the reason they won the game. Um, they, they were a little bit more aggressive. I mean, I just think, you know, it's, a, it's kind of at a point now where they, they are who they are on defense. They're going to give up some big plays. Um, they're going to miss some tackles. Uh, they're going to be out of alignment uh, from time to time. Um, the, these are just things that are not fixable this late in the season. However, uh, you know, if you want to negate that in some ways, I think it's, it, you know, playing aggressive, blitzing a lot, you know, you can – you're, you're going to give up big plays anyway. You might as well go for it and try to force some big plays on your side because really that's all they needed against Texas the first time. You know, one takeaway, one one takeaway in the first three quarters, and they probably win that game. Um, you know, if they're able to make a stop late, if they're able to, you know, uh, score a touchdown on defense, I mean, any of those things would have probably flipped the uh, the results of that game and they'd be undefeated right now. So, um, at this point, I think they obviously the, the tactic still has to just be to try to outscore people. But if they can generate some plays on defense uh, among all of the bad ones that we know they're going to make, I mean, let's. let's I, mean, I, I think it's crazy to think that they would give up. You know, I mean, they've given up 40 points four weeks in a row, including to Kansas. So I don't think there's any doubt that they're going to give up a lot of points and a lot of yards this weekend. But if they can uh, score a lot of points and, and maybe, um, you know, make a, three or four really good plays, a couple of stops on defense, a couple of three and outs, that that should be enough for them to win this game. So, you know, I think that it's fair to say that the defense didn't get uh, any better, really, uh, since Mike Soups was fired. But I guess another way to put that is, do you feel like making that change kept things from potentially getting worse you know if that makes sense i think that's why lincoln made the change but i also think there's a chance um that you know we we look at it now and think maybe mike stoops was was keeping things as well together as he could um you know given the fact that um you know uh uh they gave up 40 points to kansas that never happened with mike stoops Uh, you know in, in so many statistical categories they are worse now than they were pre-Mike Stoops. Now, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there's no way to, to really know. Yeah. I mean, you know, the first two games of the year were Florida Atlantic and UCLA, and those were two really bad offenses. So maybe that skews the stats a little bit. Um, 
you know, you know, maybe these players like playing for rough and better. Maybe that's why they made the plays they made. Um, maybe, uh, you know, but, but there's, but there are still things that, that have, uh, I mean, you look at the cornerbacks, for example, I think they played pretty well against West Virginia, but the safeties were still pretty mm-hmm. bad. So, you know, they, they made the change to Trey Brown. They've gotten Ronnie Perkins more involved. There are a lot of things to like, it's just really hard to compare the two sides. And if you do it strictly on stats, then that, you know, that could be a little bit skewed. I mean, just, just cause yeah. like I said, Florida Atlantic and UCLA were, were not strong opponents. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that that's fair. Anyway, it's just a, just interesting, you know, thinking about how uh, Lincoln Riley's managed that whole situation since then. Um, you mentioned getting per- Ronnie Perkins more involved on the defense. Another guy who's gotten more involved uh, really in the last few weeks, Caleb Kelly. Um, you know, he's yeah. been kind of yo-yoed around all through that defense. Uh, last year, first two years, I guess, technically, he was playing uh, more of a Sam strong side linebacker out on the outside. Moved inside this year, was backing up Curtis Bolton at uh, you know the will inside linebacker position there. Now now he's moved back outside, uh, you know for the last few weeks, and I think it's actually been a good move for him and the defense. But I wanted yeah. to get your take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, oh, I definitely agree. I mean, I think they've needed to have. I, I think they would have been better off having him on the field early in the season. I sort of get what they were trying to do with him, but once he once it became clear that he wasn't going to beat out Curtis Bolton for that inside spot, I think, you know, it probably would have made sense to put him back out there. I mean, they were talking about red shirting him. He didn't play in some games. I mean, I, I, I like Caleb Kelly brings. I think that he's, um, you know, there's probably a lot of people who are sort of disappointed with his first two years overall, but he's still a very talented player. And when your defense is playing the way that OU's is, you need your most talented players on the field. And Caleb Kelly is absolutely one of them. So I think it's good that he's back involved. I think they're better for it, um, clearly. And uh, and you know, I, I, what I will be interested to see though is what they do next year with him. If they uh, decide to you know move, try him inside again with Curtis Bolton gone, or if they try uh, to keep him, or if they decide to keep him on the outside. I mean, a lot of this is going to have to do with whatever the new defensive coordinator decides to do, but. Um, you know, I, I'll be really interested to see sort of what what his future holds um, after this season. But for now, this is you, you need him on the field. Yeah, and I think that one, if you're looking for one maybe reason for optimism about the uh, game with Texas coming up this week, I do think that his his defense there on the perimeter on that edge, as a uh, you know kind of a linebacker playing in space there. Is something that OU, you know, was was kind of mi- was missing against Texas. I mean, you know, he played a lot there in the second quarter on the inside, and, and it was not good. But, uh, you know, a huge issue for them was, you know, the uh, edge linebackers, Mark Jackson, Ryan Jones, kind of getting just folded in there on the uh, perimeter and letting Sam Ellinger and other runners kind of get outside the tackles. Uh, and you know, now that they're playing more kind of four man, you know, front with uh, Kelly out there, almost more of a traditional four three. I think that that's a, a move that will help him this week. Um, well, I think you're absolutely right about those being big problems against Texas the first time. And, and, uh, and certainly, uh, you know, I, I think the, the move to more of a, a four, three type defense has, has helped. And I think Caleb Kelly is just a guy, like I said, that you need to have on the field, Mark Jackson and, and those guys really weren't getting it done in that Texas game. It's a big reason why they were able to, uh, have so much success, and so you you hope that maybe um, this time with those changes it'll be different. 
Yeah, so looking uh, at uh, the other side of the ball, the offense, uh, you know, last game, you know, Kyler Murray took it really hard, obviously, afterwards because he had two turnovers. And, uh, you know, you could argue, in my opinion, if, if, if they cut out just one of those, OU might have won that game. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, do you think that he looks at it, that this is, you know, do you think that we'll get a good performance in, out of him because of that, you know, a chance to atone for that? No, I, I don't know. I mean, this is sort of rare, uh, uncharted waters for him. It's not like this is anything we've seen before in terms of him, like being motivated by a press loss, that, that sort of thing. So, um, so I don't really know, uh, how to, uh, how to pick that other than just to say that Kyler Murray has played fantastic in every game this season. So I don't see any reason why this would be different. Now, the, the one thing that, that I think OU fans could rightfully be worried about is that, in the three toughest road environments, environments he's played in, he's turned the ball over twice in each of those games, in the Cotton Bowl, in Lubbock, and in Morgantown. And, uh, and so this is going to be another tough uh, environment that's not in Norman. And so I think uh, you, know, you could potentially um, be a little bit worried that, that he's going to turn the ball over. Now, he does a really good job of bouncing back from those turnovers all three times. Um, but, you know, as we saw the last time they played Texas, that wasn't enough. Those two turnovers were enough to make the difference. So, um, so that's the only thing I'd be concerned about uh, as an OU fan. But I mean, he's going to put up great numbers. He's going to score a lot of points, a lot of touchdowns, and uh, and he's going to put OU in position to win. Um, I guess then you know the other question I have is you know just your assessment of kind of the injury situation. You know, I mean, uh, for example, main primarily Trey Sermon. Uh, you know, he. He has tried to give it a go. It seems like in the last few games, and just hasn't really been able to uh, get much get much going. Uh, do you think that his you know availability will be any different this week? Well, Lincoln said that no, the players who weren't available in Morgantown probably won't be available in in uh, Arlington. Now, Sermon was technically available. He started the game. He had a few carries, but he didn't play much. Um, so I don't really know. I. My, he every time we thought he wasn't going to go, he goes. So my guess would be that he'll go. He'll play. I don't know how much. And I think you don't have to play him as much with the way Kennedy Brooks is playing. Um, certainly, you'd be better off having both of them, though. Yeah, no doubt about that. No doubt. Um, let's shift gears real quick to uh, a, you know another big story that uh, is somewhat on the back burner, but. Uh, it seems pretty clear to me, and even though Lincoln Riley's not dropping any hints about it, it seems pretty clear that OU will have uh, some significant staff changes on the defensive side of the ball this year. Any thoughts, anything you're hearing about uh, where that's where that whole defensive coordinator search is heading? It's been very quiet, um, very, very quiet. They're, they're not wanting to say much. Um, you know, Lincoln has tried to convince us uh, – last week when I asked him directly that he thought zero about the defensive coordinator spot, which I obviously don't believe. And I can't believe he would even expect anyone to believe that because, uh, you know, his answer was essentially, well, I'm focused on this season, uh, not the future. Well, then, uh, I, you know, he's still recruiting. So I, I assume yeah. he's thinking about the future. <laughs> like, so that, I mean, that doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, they're obviously thinking about it. They're obviously trying to figure that stuff out. Um, he doesn't want to say anything. I understand he doesn't want to say anything just because there are guys that are still on the staff that may not be on the staff next year, and he needs them to continue recruiting and to continue coaching hard. So 
um, for the rest of the year. So, um, so no, I, I mean, I don't have any real insights on what exactly they're thinking that I'm comfortable talking about just because it's been very, very quiet. Yeah, I mean, do you think that he's worried at all about, I mean, given that early signing day is there in the you know middle of December, that uh, definitely about having something in place, right? I mean, he's got to be, right? Uh, you know, I think definitely the early signing period uh, plays a part in this. I mean, it's it's changed the game. It's changed everything for for the way these you know coaching decisions are made, for hiring and firing decisions are made, uh, and certainly uh, you know the, when you're in a playoff run and you're in a Big Twelve championship run, uh, you you know you've got to um, sort of think these things through. Do they want to name a defensive coordinator before they play in the college football playoff? A defensive coordinator who you know, is going to maybe help recruit, but maybe not. But, you know, so the players know who's there, but then the assistant coaches don't know if they're going to have jobs. It's, I mean, that is a very complicated thing that he has to navigate. And uh, I don't envy that. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. So um, I guess, Jason, kind of wrapping up, uh, are you going to be doing much, much uh, hoops coverage this year? Not, I don't think so. Uh, I think we're going to, I'm, I'm going to be mostly sticking with football and recruiting here in the off season, but you know, who knows anything can, anything can, uh, can change from, from day to day. But um, if there, if I use like soup gets really, really good, you know, maybe, but um, for now, my, my main focus is going to be on football. All right. Well, Hey, Jason, really appreciate it. You uh, coming on and uh, talking with us about everything that's going on around the program now with uh, the big 12 championship game against Texas coming up this weekend. All right, Alan, anytime. Thanks for having me. Again, folks, that's Jason Kersey of The Athletic. Uh, great resource there. They've done such a nice job with that. I, I love the kind of the whole architecture of their site and uh, the ad-free, uh, you know, kind of ex- user experience and everything there. It's definitely worthwhile. Jason does a great job not only covering the team but also writing those trend and feature stories that, uh, you know, kind of add a little color to uh, what's going on behind the scenes with the program. So, Again, highly recommend it for uh, Sooner fans out there. But uh, thanks to him for joining us, and thanks to you all for joining us, too. For the Blaine Homerism Podcast, I'm Alan Kenny. Take it easy.